Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Thank you, John. We on? We good? All right. Um, yeah, God is so good. Um, the uh, excited about going to, back to Colombia. We were there last year. We went to a, a whole different part of the country um, for the conference that we did last fall. And uh, an area that had a lot of witchcraft. It was a wild, crazy time with a lot of deliverance. And uh, but then we came back to the city of Medellin just for two nights for one full day of, of meetings. And uh, before we started our our meetings that morning, um, we just wanted to get some feedback from the people that had been in the conferences previously. And so we sat there for at least a solid hour as person after person just testified, sharing how their lives have been changed. And I know uh, one person started by sharing, going, you want me to share a testimony about what God did in the supernatural school that you guys do? I don't just have a testimony. My whole life is defined by before and after. I've never been the same since then. Everything changed from that. And we just sat there um, person after person after person. We just sat there in tears hearing of transformed lives, of people being healed, people being delivered, people being saved, people being set free. And then from there, people being empowered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go out and win others to Christ, seeing other people healed, seeing other people set free, and just this ripple effect in the kingdom of God. I say that to say thank you for being a church that blesses your leaders to be sent out and go around the world. Your giving, your investment is not in vain. And when we're not here, we're investing in other parts of the globe. And there is fruit that happens from that. And uh, thank you for being a church that blesses your leaders to go out and serve around the globe. Um, this time, also, um, we're going to have uh, Colombia. Uh, una colombiana con nosotros por la primera vez. We're going to have a Colombian with us for the first time. Uh, we're going to bring Nora, uh, who's going to be joining us. So that's going to be fun. We're going to be taking a Colombian with us to Colombia. And so that's exciting to, to bring a Colombian with us for the first time. And so I love uh, the, the diversity that God is bringing here in this place. You know, for a while now we've had uh, a number of Mexican families, which is awesome. But we're getting more uh, Central Americans Más centroamericanos, ¿verdad? Amén. And also with that, um, little by little, some more South Americans. So, uh, welcome, one and all. <laughs> and uh, it's exciting. So, um, just love the, the, the diversity that's represented. Um, real quick, go ahead and go to First Kings. Go to chapter 19. And uh, just a couple of testimonies as, as you're going there. Um, Again, as I've shared, a lot of you know that I was the worship pastor here for about 14 years, transitioned out of that role at the beginning of the year as God's been sending me out more places and ministering in, in different spots around the world. And uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave and I went and did um, the same conference in Illinois, kind of a shortened version of that. And some of the, the response that we've gotten back from that uh, was uh, uh, the young man who's in college. He's the drummer for the worship team that night. He had to be, someone had to drive him home after the service late that night because he was so full of the presence of God. He was not able to f 
fully function and drive. Um, there was a young, a young woman who came through the fire tunnel that night and uh, came from a very conservative background and um, was not into all this charismatic stuff. And uh, so she wasn't too sure what to think. But by the time she came out on the other side of the fire tunnel, she was baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, and then uh, also uh, the other day I got a letter in the mail, which that in itself is kind of shocking just to get a letter in the mail. And uh, I got a letter in the mail from a guy who was at the conference and he was just telling me, um, he said, hey, when you were, we, when I was ministering that night and afterwards he said, you prayed for me, but you didn't just pray for me. You gave me a hug. And he said, something was in, released, something was imparted into me and I've just been on fire ever since. I just can't stop praying. I'm so hungry for more of God and there's this fire that's just burning in me. And it was just awesome. And so again, I want to tell you that there is fruit that happens when you bless your, minist- your pastors to go out and minister in other places. The only challenge with that is I kept... At the bottom of the letter, I kept like, how do I like, respond? How do I like, press send? Or something? And it just wasn't working. It was such a weird experience. Um, I mean, snail mail. It's a weird thing to get a handwritten letter. It's just a weird thing. And then um, uh, some of you might know that uh, earlier this year, uh, Pastor Dave and I and um, a few of us went and did a conference in Asia uh, to minister to people who escaped uh, persecution uh, from, a, from a, a country where there's a lot of persecution and we got a chance to minister to these folks and just got an update last week that one of them had shared just saying, please tell your pastors, thank you so much for coming. My life has never been the same uh, from that conference. Their life was so impacted. And, uh, and I don't know how much that means to you, okay? I want, I want to share those updates. I want you to hear some of the fruit that goes on, Okay. But for me, someone who travels different parts of the globe, and I just pop into a place, say, Holy Spirit, come, place kind of blows up, and then you leave, and you're like, that was great. I know God's doing stuff, but I don't always get to hear the fruit. I don't always get to hear the results. So when you get to hear weeks, months, even years later, that is so encouraging. And so I love that. I, 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 I love when, when you finally get to hear the stories, because you know by faith, you can feel the anointing in the room. You feel God touching people's lives and transforming lives. Um, but obviously, we all know at the end of the day, it's not about a manifestation. God will use manifestations, and we, we don't reject that. That's great. But at the end of the day, it's not about the manifestation. It's about the transformation that takes place in someone's life. And so I love hearing that fruit. So that's really good. So... Um, Before we jump into this message, um, one of the challenges, I don't know if you realize this, but one of the challenges of being a pastor and preaching on a Sunday morning is you always have the temptation, people in the church have the temptation to think, oh my gosh, Martha, he's talking about me. What'd you tell him? Did you send him a private Facebook message and tell him what's going on with me? Okay, that, that. Is the tendency is like they're talking about me? What? Do you, oh, he's. I know why he's preaching on that, because I've met with him this week and I told him what I was. Go- All those kinds of things. You follow what I'm saying? That's just natural assumptions that we can go to. I want to tell you ahead of time. Um, this morning, do not assume that I am talking to you. But you have every right to assume that God probably is. Okay. All right, so there's 
There's a lot of people uh, we deal with, um, talking to, encouraging, sometimes having to bring correction and rebuke and, and loving on and encouraging and helping people work through their situations. Um, not only in this church, but other churches. Um, I mean, there are times where I'm like, I'm in the middle of like texting on WhatsApp, counseling people in situations in Latin America. I mean, w- <laughs> uh Thanks to technology, there's there's the opportunity to do all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, so when it comes to examples and stories of people that are going, things that are going on in people's lives, it's stuff that happens all over the globe. So there's people throughout the region, uh, not just here in this church, of situations we deal with on a regular basis. Does that make sense? Okay. So, again, don't assume I'm talking about you, but assume God probably is speaking right to you. Okay? Um, so... Uh, I wanted to, to share this thought with you. Um, we here at Heartland, we are unashamedly of the Pentecostal charismatic stream. Hallelujah. We love that. And one of the things that we love to do as Pentecostals and charismatics, we love to talk about the fire of God. And we love to talk about the reign of God. As an R-A-I-N, okay? Send the fire. We love to sing it. We love to shout it. We love to pray it. And rightfully so, because God's really into that. And we love to sing, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. We sing that over and over and over again. And this is great stuff to sing and to pray and declare, right? Because it represents the Holy Spirit. Fire represents the Holy Spirit, symbolism of the Holy Spirit. The rain represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So it's all good, it's all biblical, and it's all appropriate, right? We love that. We're into that. And we're going to be into that from now until Jesus comes. Okay? And I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that um, I've been fascinated with this passage of Scripture for many months now. And... uh, God was just highlighting some very simple things to me regarding this passage of Scripture, where we get a lot of that, that heart cry of send the fire and even send your rain. So, 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's... Um, Let's start with verse 36. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Sound like revival? That's amazing. That is amazing. This massive showdown between the true prophet of the Lord, Elijah, who was living in a very corrupt generation, the children of Israel who were called of God, called to serve the Lord their God and only Him, 
they were being corrupted by all these false prophets and a false religion, this, these pagan worshipers that were pulling them off course from the worship of the true and living Jehovah God. And so God raises up Elijah and he has this showdown with him and they call down fire on the sacrifice. Fire comes out of heaven and everybody like falls on their face. Oh my gosh, he's really God. We've got to believe him. This is amazing. Can you imagine going to Walmart, standing in the middle of Walmart? Hey, anybody want to know who the real God is? Fire's going to come down right now, right in the middle of Walmart. Or pick some other, you know, walk into a local bar, a nightclub. Hey, you want to see the fire? And like a portal opens up, fire comes down. This is pretty amazing. This is amazing. The fire comes down. Now, let's look at the next picture uh, that we have here. Go to verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of the rushing of rain. It was during a time of famine. It was during a drought. And he said, there is the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down to the earth. He put his face between his knees. And he looked to his servant. Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like the man, like a man's hand rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down. Lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds. The And wind, and there was a great rain. The heavens opened up at first, and the fire fell, so that the people fell on their faces and repented and said, Jehovah really is God. We must serve him. Right after that, the second one, the heavens opened up, and in the middle of a drought, the heavens opened up, and at the command, at the prayer and the petition of a prophet, the heavens start pouring out rain. That's amazing. I love that. And this is, this is very much uh, language that we use in the Pentecostal charismatic stream. This is very much revival language of God, open up the heavens, send the fire and send the rain. And as I was reading this the other day, I felt like the Lord just quickened this phrase to me. That in between the fire and in between the rain, there is a sword. That doesn't sound as exciting. It's just like one thing, God, send your fire. Send the fire of revival. Lord, open up the heavens and let it rain. And it's awesome. And it's only right to pray that and it's glorious. But right in between those two things is a sword. I haven't found that we usually sing, open up the heavens, send a sword. Right here, God. Right in the middle of my chest, right in my heart, Lord, send a sword. It doesn't work too well on a Sunday morning to sing that. It doesn't flow so easily. It's probably not going to be on the CCLI top charts for worship music. Open up the heavens and send a sword. But let's read this passage for a moment. Go to verse 40. The one verse that we left out between these two things. Verse 40. And Elijah said to them. Okay, this is right after the fire falls. Verse 40, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. I believe all of us 
in this room know this, but just for clarification, we are not advocating the murder of anyone, okay? This is symbolic and it represents uh, a passion in our hearts for the glory of God to destroy anything in our lives, to uproot and destroy anything in our lives, anything within our own lives that would take us away from the presence of God, from the purposes of God, that distract us from the worship of God. This is not just, I mean, it'd be intense enough if had it been that, um, you know, he takes a guy or two guys. But it says uh, in chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Now therefore... Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And there are 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. 950 men. So after the fire falls, what they had to do, this is what Elijah said. You gather all the men, 950 of these false prophets that were leading the nation astray. And they had to take them down to the brook and slaughter every one of them. That doesn't sound as good. It doesn't feel as good to sing it. But there's this practical intentionality that needs to take place in the midst of God pouring out his fire and God opening up the heavens and sending his rain. If the children of Israel had not done that, then all that would have happened was they would have gone on months and years later and look back and go, that was amazing. Remember that time fire came out of heaven? Whoo, that was a great story. We're still living in paganism. Our lives are still being destroyed. Our families are still being destroyed. Oh, but man, we got great memories of how fire came. We got great stories to tell of what God did by sending fire down from heaven. But because we never followed through and killed the things that were trying to kill us, all we have are stories, but destruction is still plaguing our land. My heart breaks because I see so many people who have their stories and say, yeah, I was in a service and God touched me and I felt his presence and man, I was touched and God did this and that and I I remember some mighty things that God did, but they never took the practical, intentional step to say, God, I will root out of my life anything that's pulling me away from you. You see, it's not just that they killed anybody. Look, all those other people that were being led astray, they didn't kill them, but the people, the false prophets... These priests of pagan gods that were destroying lives. They were leading the children of Israel astray. God had already made it very clear to Moses. He had made it clear earlier in the Pentateuch. Look, if a false prophet rises up in your midst, kill him. Again, we're under the new covenant today. Hallelujah. Thank God. We're not talking about killing people. But we are talking about rooting out wickedness. Okay, we are talking about getting rid of anything in your life that's going to pull you away from your passion for God. Anything that's going to trip you up and lead you into sin. See, really, it comes down to this. The principle is kill or be killed. Paul makes it very clear in Romans 6 at the the end there. He says that the wages of sin is death. 
So really it comes down to this. Either you kill that sin or it will kill you. There is no middle ground. And my heart is broken. My heart is grieved. As I hear people, I talk to people, I counsel people. And it's like, yeah, I once knew the presence of God. And I had this experience and I had this touch and I had this amazing encounter. I had these things happen and it was all great. And I can testify about the rain and the fire. But I never pulled out a sword to deal with the issues in my life. And I couldn't help but think about this this morning with what Roger was talking about. Obviously, I can't be at the men's conference because I'm going to be in Columbia. But I want to encourage every other man, if at all possible, make it. And what Roger was talking about is, man, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in laying on of hands. And, and we believe the, for the power of God to set people free. But there has to be a corresponding intentionality when you walk away from the altar on a Sunday morning and, the, and the, the service ends and you get back to your work week. There has to be an intentionality because how many of you know you don't live here in this building? Okay, I love our services. I love how God shows up. I love our worship. I love the corporate gatherings. We celebrate it. We love it. Join a small group. Come on Wednesday nights. Come to the prayer meetings. It's awesome. Come to all of the meetings. But even at the end of the day, even if you come to every meeting, you don't live here. You spend more time away from this building than you do here. And so there has to be a corresponding practicality that says, God, would you show me what this means for my life? I've prayed, send the fire. We're asking you to open the heavens and send the rain. But God, there has to be a corresponding practicality in my life that I would unsheath the sword of the Lord, the word of God, and cut down the things that are trying to destroy my life. Not just destroy my life, but destroy my spouse, and destroy my children, destroy my children's children. To cut off the enemy because sin is never a personal issue. It's not, well, this is between me and God. No, it affects people around you. And it will affect the future generations that come after you. Period. And so, again, I'm going to say that we are unashamedly, unbashedly, just we celebrate uh, the outpouring of the Spirit. We are Pentecostal and charismatic. We identify with that stream and we celebrate. And we're going to keep singing, send the fire and send the rain. We probably will never sing, send the sword. But it's a right to pray it. I'm going to read that verse again, verse 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah, Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Do you think that was an easy... T- I mean, it's just one verse. It's so easy to read over. Okay, and it's, it's really easy to read over. And let's get on to the next miraculous thing of the heavens opening up and all these glorious stories. But the intentionality, how specific, how detailed they had to be. I mean, th- I'm just thinking about the amount of time to slaughter. Now, I mean, I don't want to be too gruesome here, but, but eh, this was a long time ago. They didn't have machine guns, okay? They're just swords, all right? To kill almost a thousand people with swords. Uh, maybe it went a little quicker than what I'm thinking, but I still, I guarantee, no matter how you slice it, sorry, that was a bad. <laughs> sorry, didn't even realize. No, no matter how you think it through, it couldn't have been easy. That was not intended. Seriously. Okay. A th- approximately a thousand. All right, Tashir, get back on track. A thousand people. 
to murder them. The time, the effort, even the intentionality of, you know those guys weren't like, oh yeah, you're right, we deserve death, go ahead. No, I mean, they had to corral them. You, you, you can guarantee there were, some of them were trying to escape. But they had to corral them. They had to be intentional. They had to make sure none of them escaped. It was a bloody mess, literally. It was messy. But sometimes that's how life is. In dealing with the issues of our heart, in dealing with bondage, in dealing with junk in our lives, dealing with sin patterns and sin issues, it can be, mu- it can be bloody, it can be messy, and it can be time-consuming, but it's always worth it. So every time we say, hey, man, God, open up the heavens. He send the fire. He send the rain. But in between that, there's always a sword. You see, God sent the fire and God sent the rain. But let's read this verse one more time. Does it say this? And Elijah said to them, God will gather up all the prophets of Baal and he will kill them all. Is that what it says? God said, I will miraculously make all the prophets just appear before you and they will all die. No, look, there's a lot of things God does for us and it's all by grace through faith. We don't earn anything with him. It's all grace through faith from beginning to end. I don't earn anything with him. It's all grace. But part of that outworking of the grace in my life is the grace of God to be intentional to deal with the issues in my life. He does not say, and God will do all this for you. No, they had to take their own hands and seize these false prophets themselves and pull them in and rein them in. And they had to take swords and hack them down themselves. God wasn't going to do it for them. They had to do it. God sent the fire. He sent the rain, but they had to do it themselves. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8. We were singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And that is true. And we get that out of this passage here in Romans 8. Let's start with verse 12. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature. It is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For God did not give you, God did not, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? This is all connected. God's not giving us a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. We cry out, Abba, Father, and Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are truly sons of God. But before that, he says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You see, this, this picture here with Elijah, it, it's, a, it's a physical picture of what Paul is talking about here in Romans 6. Okay? He says, you do it. He didn't say, just leave it all up to God. Just sit back on your couch and just, well, if God wants to set me free, I guess he'll do it. He knows my address. I'm just going to sit here. I don't know. Let me see what else is on TV. 
Just kind of kind of hang back in life. And he's a God of miracles, and I guess he'll do that when he's ready. Meanwhile, just surf the internet and kind of let life go by and stay stuck. No, there's an intentionality to it. He says, you put to death the deeds of the body. But a key component in there is, is by the spirit. Thank God, we're not, we're not alone. It is by his spirit. Like, without him, we can do nothing. Jesus made that clear in John 15. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And as born-again believers, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. We can put to death sin in our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's only through his grace and his power, but he ain't going to do it without us. It's like he's got his responsibility and we have ours. And we have to choose. And if we choose, he's going to be right there with the power of his spirit and giving us the strength to do it. So he just, he makes it very clear, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Well, I don't know how many of you go around thinking, ooh, deeds of the flesh. I need to stay away from that. Deeds of the flesh. They're very bad. Honey, was that a deed of the flesh? I don't know. I think most of us don't think like that. So let's look at Galatians real quick and get, get a little better idea of some of the brass tacks of what that is and what that looks like. Because I think, here's what I'm afraid of, is that sometimes in church we can gather and we go, yeah, ooh, sin, that's bad, stay away from it. Woo, okay, I love God, I'm going to go on with Jesus. And, and, well, what do you mean by sin? Well, all that other stuff that other people have problems with. You know, all that other bad stuff that other people do? Yeah, that, that's the sin I'm talking about. Oh, stuff in my life? Well, no, no, that, that's not the sin we're talking about. I'm talking about everybody else's sin. And we have a natural tendency when we hear sin to just kind of gloss over it and put it in another category and not let the word speak for itself to challenge our own hearts. It's making sense. So we're going to, le- we're going to read this list in just a moment. Okay. What Paul tells us gives us some insight, some very practical, straightforward language into what this is. I want to tell you that like it, If people ask me, they're like, are you a grace preacher? Yes. Are you a holiness preacher? Yes. Are you a prosperity preacher? I mean, I don't. I believe God wants to prosper us. I believe he's a God of blessing. He's a really good big father and he wants to bless us. So I believe in that. Are you a kingdom preacher? Yes. Are you a Jesus preacher? Yes. It's all in the book. So it's all legal. It's all good, okay? Grace, holiness, blessing. (laughs) It's all good. God wants to bless us. It's all there. So we're not a... But what we need is the full counsel of the whole word of God. So we have to feed on the whole counsel of the word of God. Like, I think most of us, we have our favorite passages. That's awesome. Have your favorite passages. I have mine. But what I have to do is I force myself to read other portions of scripture that aren't my favorite. So I get the whole counsel of the word of God. Okay. It's like, whoo, brownies. Awesome. But if you make your whole diet of brownies, you're going to die. Okay. Don't do that. Get a more of a balanced meal. Okay. So we, man, I, I, we I don't want to live a life and, and uh, we're, it's not our aim to make a, tr- for us as a church to be uh, sin centric, to be sin conscious. I want to be sun conscious. I want to be conscious of the son of God and the son of God living and reigning in me. 
Okay? That's how I live my life. I'm not focused on sin. But I do realize this. Jesus addressed sin. Okay? Paul addressed sin. Writers of the New Testament addressed sin. So I better not ignore it. Okay? I better not ignore that issue in my own life. And we can't afford to as a local body. Okay? So the focus is going to be Jesus. It's not about sin. It's the focus is him. But in that process, if we discover, hey, there could be some compromise in my life. I was getting stupid. I was getting off track. I wasn't feeding on the word of God. I wasn't seeking his face. And I allowed some compromise to settle in. Well, then I better deal with that because it's kill or be killed. Follow what I'm saying. Galatians chapter five. Go to verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are Obvious. Sexual immorality. Any sexual activity that is not between you and your spouse that God gave you. As God designed it. Impurity. Debauchery idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. You can't read that and go, well, I haven't committed adultery, but I still have hatred in my heart towards somebody. But it's just in my heart. I've never killed anybody. No, it says right there, hatred. If you have hatred in your heart towards somebody, if you haven't forgiven them, it's sin. It has to be rooted out. It will destroy your life. And he says this, it says discord. Proverbs talks about someone who sorts discord among the brethren. Discord. Some of what comes to my mind when I read that is this. It's you get upset. You're offended about something. Hey, we've all been there. Okay. But you're not, you're not, you're not settling just to have an offended heart. You want some other people to join you in your offense. I'm going to garner their support. I'm going to spread my offense because I'm want. i not, I'm not satisfied being offended alone. I want some other people to join me and being offended with me. That's sowing discord. And it's wrong. It has no place in the body of Christ. Jealousy. Well, how come he and how come she and boy, they're always getting this and I don't, how come they got that? And man, I can't believe they always get an opportunity for this. And how come they always get favor? And how come jealousy is rooted in orphan mentality? Jealousy is rooted in victimhood. Jealousy is rooted in this, this, this victim mentality that says, nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. Look, the sovereign God of the universe chose you out of like 10 billion sperm, okay? And you were created. That's amazing. You started off pretty well. I don't care about the other circumstances. That's amazing that you exist, okay? And then on top of that, as a sinner, God sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could escape hell and live in heaven for eternity. That's amazing. So for whatever else I do or don't get in this life, I'm a blessed man. Life is good because God is good. No matter what else happens. And yes, there's trials. And yes, there's pain. And yes, there's challenges and difficulties. But man, when I keep things in the eternal perspective, I'm a blessed man. No matter how you slice it, I'm a blessed man. 
that's appropriate to use it there. Okay. Fits of rage. How we talk to one another in our homes. How we talk to our spouses. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Those secret desires behind the scenes where you're trying to manipulate things to get your own way. Those things behind the scenes where you're... The the secret motives... It's not a secret to God, but it seems like it's a secret to everybody else. That you're trying to do your own thing, get your own way, promote yourself, manipulating things and people and situations. Dissensions. Factions. Dissensions and factions take that jealousy or that offended heart to not just say, I'm offended, I want a couple, I want someone else to be offended with me. It takes it to another level and say, no, you know what? I, I want to develop a whole group of people that's going to take my side. I want them to know what I'm offended about and I want to garner their support and I want to pit my group against their group. It's from the pit of hell. It's sin and it's got to be repented of. Those factions, that division, that discord, it's got to be killed because if we don't kill it, it will kill us. Envy. If I'm envious, I'm slandering the heart of my father. I'm saying, God, you're really not that good of a father because you haven't given me what they got. I would encourage you to never do that. He's a good father. He knows what he's doing. Drunkenness. Well, you know, I mean, come on. The Bible doesn't actually, you know, the Bible says, you know, it doesn't actually say we can't drink in Scripture. There is drinking in Scripture. Jesus turned water into wine. And yeah, hey, it's all right there in the Word. There's, you won't find a verse that says, thou shalt never have a drop of alcohol. That's absolutely true, okay? So we just got to go with what the Word says. But if you can't do it in such a way that doesn't lead to drunkenness, then you got to stop. Makes it pretty clear right here. Okay, drunkenness is a part of that. So if your conscience is clear and you can, you, can, you can imbibe some alcohol and it does not, you have self-control, hallelujah. But you know what? There are a lot of people who can't. And if you can, hallelujah, I would encourage you to mostly keep that between you and God because there's a lot of other people that can't and they can stumble, okay? And we want to be sensitive to our brothers who can't handle that. But if it leads to drunkenness, it's got to stop. Orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is strong language from the man who we get probably the greatest revelation of the grace of God. If ever there was a grace preacher, it was Paul. We get the revelation of what Christ did for us at the cross from Paul. We get the greatest revelation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through the writings of Paul. It's amazing. And Paul is saying, if those who continue to live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are you saying? You're saying if if I do that sometimes, I'm not saved? No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm not going to say you are. I'm not going to say you're not. I'm saying that's between you and God. And you need, to, you need to get before him and say, God, search my heart. You show me. Because it doesn't say in Romans 8, if, 
if one of your pastors says you're saved, then you're saved. No, it says his spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And you get before him and let him do that work. You let him deal with your heart. You let him search it out before God with the scripture and in conversation with the Holy Spirit. Let him do that work. But this is what he says. Those who keep doing this, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's strong language. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading what the word says. Okay? You're like, well, are you saying I'm losing my salvation? Well, look, I remember years ago when I was uh, with YWAM. And there was, a, there was a young guy who was a part of that ministry and his... His dad was a Baptist minister. And we got in a conversation one time about eternal security and all this stuff. And, and uh, I, I will let you know, I'm eternally secure, okay? I know he loves me. He's made an eternal covenant with me. And I'm not backsliding. I can get stupid. I can get dumb. I can get off track. I can get stupid quick. But you know what? He pulls me back on course. And I want to stay close to him. And I want to run hard after him. I'm not backsliding, okay? So I believe I'm eternally, eternally secure. But... This conversation with, can you lose your salvation, okay? And I was talking to this young man, and I thought, man, this is so good. He said, you know what? My dad said this as a Baptist pastor. He said, when somebody finds themselves stuck in bondage, they got this sin in their life, and they claim to be a follower of Jesus. You know, somebody could, man, do they need to get saved again? Do they need to, uh, are they still saved? They just need to do this, different questions theologically, like, did they lose their salvation? And this is what he said. My dad has always said, the answer to both people is the same thing, and that's repentance. And so no matter how you split it theologically, the answer is still repentance, okay? Whether, whether you think you lost your salvation or not, the answer is still repentance, okay? Because even if you're like, well, yes, I, I got this stuff on my life, but I believe I'm still right with God. Okay, but you still need to repent, Okay, you still need to repent, even if you're like, I'm, I'm very secure in my position in Christ and I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but if you got this junk in your life, repent, pull out a sword and deal with it. It's still what we have to deal with. So repentance is still the answer. Repentance, a changing of the mind that would result in the behavioral change to turn away from it. Okay, there's two different aspects to the meaning of the word repentance in the Bible. You're going to get an Old Testament concept from Hebrew that's going to be more of just doing a 180 and turning away from sin. I've heard some people say, oh man, I did a complete 360 and I'm on fire for God. I appreciate your heart. Your, your numbers are a little wrong there because you're just living the same way. Okay, it's not a, it's not a 360 because then you're still going the same direction, doing the same stuff. It's a 180 where I turn the other way and I'm going to live differently. Okay? And... Going to New Testament Greek, it is also the changing of the mind, where I'm going to see things differently. I'm going to, I'm going to change what I do because I'm seeing things differently. I see who God is. I see who he's made me to be. I see the consequences of sin. I see the damage it's doing in my life. I see how it grieves the heart of the Father. I see how it grieves the Holy Spirit. I see how it, it, it brings destruction to my family. So I'm going to turn and go the other way. And I'm not going to embrace that anymore. Does this make sense? All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I hope you love the Word of God. The 
we sang that song, Tremble, this morning. And there is a, a very right and appropriate time to tremble in God's presence. Okay? And it is people that embrace revival, charismatic Pentecostal stream. We believe the power can come on people and they actually tremble in his presence. But it also speaks of, in Isaiah 66, that God's looking for people to tremble at his word. So it's one thing to say, man, I love God's presence. And we do, okay? We will never back away from that. But I realize that even though we love God's manifest presence, we need to recognize he's omnipresent. So when you're alone in your bedroom at night and you don't feel anything of God, you don't feel his presence, he's still there. And when you click on websites that you shouldn't be going to, God didn't disappear. He's still there. And when you go to places that you have no business going as a born-again believer, he's still there. Even though you might feel a million miles from his presence, you don't feel anything, he's a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And he's there. And I love his manifest presence. But we need to live with the reality that God is everywhere. Even the times and the places when I don't feel a thing, he's there and he sees it all. That's who God is. Okay? So we love his manifest presence. Continue to pursue more of it. But this is likewise true. All right. Let's go to verse chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That language sounds a little similar to what we read about what, a, what Elijah did with the prophets. It's like, no mercy. God, send your fire. He comes with his fire. Now it's no mercy to these false prophets that are leading us astray. We're going to cut them down with vengeance, with violence. We've got to root them out of our lives. We're not going to let one drop of their contamination affect our lives anymore. I'm going to root it out. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, hey, if your right eye offends you, gouge it out, okay? My prayer, my desire, okay, is that next week when all of us come back here, we don't show up with a bunch of eye patches. How you doing, brother? I just obeyed the word of God, man. Just pluck my eye right out. You know, we get known as the one-eyed church. That is not God's heart. It's not his desire, okay? But let's be honest. Even though I don't believe that was in t- Jesus' intention, he's using extreme language to drive a point home. And the reality it, is it would be better to only have one eye and still escape hell. What is he saying? He's saying, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, man. Just get the job done. It's kill or be killed. That's where it's at. There was, there's a young lady in our church talking to just recently and she shared 
really backing up to earlier in this year, how God had been dealing with her heart. And God led her to get rid of some apps on her phone. God began to lead her to get rid of Kindle. There was some stuff that she was reading that wasn't helpful. These are the flashes pulling her in the wrong direction. It wasn't pulling her closer to God. She's like, I know, I got to get rid of this. And she traded that stuff and eventually was like, you know what? I'm spending way too much time with stuff on Netflix. I'm going to get rid of that. And substituted that with a whole lot more of finally diving into the word of God and feeding on the word of God and spending more time in prayer now in her life than ever before. That's good news. I think that's some of what this looks like. I'd rather go around with a, with a phone with, with no apps than just one eye, okay? But start there. Do whatever it takes, okay? I've talked to guys and I've been, you know, they're like, oh man, I can't stop looking at porn. I can't stop. And I, and I go to work and I get on my computer and I look at this and, I, and I'm like, well, then quit using your computer. Well, no, I have to for my job. Okay, well, God wants you to have a job. I get that. A job is really good. You need to provide for yourself. You need to provide for your family. But can I tell you something? Whatever it takes. So if you need to quit your job, then quit your job. Yeah, but I can't do that. because Here's the thing. God will honor that. Because you're going to lose your family if you keep going down that direction. Because you only fantasize for so long until you materialize it and wind up in bed with somebody you shouldn't. And you'll wind up losing the very family that you're trying to provide for. So it's better for you to lose your job and keep your integrity. I was talking sometime the last few years. Some couple. They're like, no, we're keeping pure. You know, our wedding date's coming up and we're keeping pure. And then all of a sudden they tell me, they said, well, actually, I just moved in. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to do what's right. You know, we're not going to sleep together leading up to the wedding. And I was like, you know what? Why can't you find somewhere else to go? Just You're talking only like maybe a month out, a few weeks. So I don't have any place to go. I, I just, I've kind of worn out my welcome in these other places just for a few weeks. I'm like, okay, I appreciate your heart. You're telling me I'm going to believe you when you say I'm sincere, going, we're, we're staying apart and we're not going to do this. But here's the thing. Why even tempt yourself with that? Why? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know what? It's better for you to sleep on a park bench out in the cold, but keep your integrity than than compromise. So whatever it takes. Jesus is making it really clear. It's kill or be killed. It's the intentionality to say between the fire and between the rain, there is a sword of intentionality to root out everything that would pull us away from Christ. That's what Jesus taught. It's scriptural. From the beginning of the book to the end. I want us to stand. I want to tell you something. It is by grace. It is by grace. It's not based on our effort. It's by his grace. But there is a corresponding deliberate, intentional cooperation with the Spirit of grace. And the true Spirit of grace will never lead you into sin. He will always cause you to resist sin.
I love you guys. I love this church. And I love the amazing things that God is doing in our midst. My heart is broken at times. See, people, individuals, marriages, families, getting eaten alive by the enemy. When God has given you exactly what you need to resist and to overcome, there is freedom. There is freedom. There must be a holy, intentional, corresponding, unsheathing of the sword of the word of the Lord. Take the word of God. Get before God and do business with him. Grab somebody else and confess your sin and do whatever it takes to get free. God never, never turns away a humble, repentant, hungry heart. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute as we wrap this up. I'm sure I'm like most of you. I do not like funerals. But I've discovered that it's good and it's healthy for me to go to funerals. Because it always forces me to think this one reality that every human being on the planet has in common. One day we're all going to die. And I sit there and I think, what's going to be shared at my funeral? What have I done with my life that counts? What, what are people going to say? It's not living in a fear of man thing, looking to please man, but I do want my life to count. Eternity is forever goes on and on and on. I'm going to close. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. I want to finish with this verse out of 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 10. For we must all, all of us, every single one of us, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What you do with your life now, today, what you think, what you say, how you talk, how you interact, how you relate to your spouse, how you talk to your kids, how you surf the internet, how you work, how you treat the opposite sex. 
how you live your life before a holy God who is a loving father, how you invest in the poor, how you witness, how you love your neighbor. All of this counts, not only now, but will make an impact on eternity. Father, I'm asking for the very sobering fear of the Lord to be upon our lives. I thank you that the fear of the Lord is not just an Old Testament concept. The fear of the Lord endures forever, you say in Psalms. And we just read out of what Paul says to the New Testament church about the fear of the Lord. We will give an account for our lives for all eternity. God, I'm asking that you would rip the veil of deception off of our minds and off of our eyes and that we would be a people that embrace the fear of the Lord. God, I thank you that it says in Isaiah 11 that the spirit of the fear of the Lord rests upon Jesus. Lord, I'm asking that the spirit of the fear of the Lord would rest upon us as a church. We welcome and we invite the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. God, I'm asking that you would give us a hatred for evil. Deliver us from the seduction of this age and give us a holy hatred for evil. God, we ask for more of the fire of your Holy Spirit to be outpoured. We ask for the opening of the heavens and for you to send the rain. But God, right in the midst of it, God, Lord, we throw our hearts open wide and we say, unsheath your holy sword and let it penetrate us and conform us to the image of Jesus. Whatever it takes, it's worth it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take your word and all this week you would go deep in our hearts. All this week we would abide in Christ and we'd meditate upon your word and that your word would have its full effect on the inside of us, transforming us, setting us free and making us more like Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Be encouraged. Go on the grace of God. Have an amazing week. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.